0: Each new challenge also provides a new opportunity for us to reinvent the industry and reconsider ways in which we've done things in the past. This is why the registry continues to provide industry insights through personal interviews with the leaders who are shaping real estate each and every day. By subscribing to our podcast, you are helping us in our work, and we will continue to deliver programming such as the one you're about to hear. Please click the subscribe button and let your friends and colleagues know about us. It will help you and the industry stay ahead of the game. Kay Sargent is a director of HOK's Global Workplace Practice. With a passion for using design to transform how and where people work, she spends her days and many nights working with clients on workplace strategy and design. Based in Washington, D.C., Kay leads project teams that solve clients' business and organizational challenges related to real estate business process, strategic planning, workplace strategy, and change management. She collaborates with organizations ranging from tech startups to Fortune 500 companies to optimize their real estate portfolios and create the most innovative work experiences. Welcome to the pod, Kay. Uh, Kay, good morning. How are you?
1: Good morning. I'm fine. Thank you.
0: Where do we find you today? Where are you?
1: Uh, You find me outside of Washington, D.C. in Virginia, about... uh, Fifteen miles south of the city, near Mount Vernon.
0: Okay, excellent, excellent. So, Kay, tell us a little. Tell us a little about yourself. Sort of, kind of, uh, you know, how you got to HOK, uh, your uh, your role at the firm, and uh, you know how long you've been in architecture, and you know, just by way of introduction, uh, a little bit of a background.
1: Sure. So, the answer to the last question is a long time. So, <laughs> I have I have been a practicing designer for thirty five years. And uh, I've been very, very fortunate in my career to uh, do a whole variety of things throughout my career. Uh, but I joined HOK about five years ago, and I lead the workplace practice with Gordon Wright. And so what that means is that the, uh, as a firm, we have multiple large accounts that have multiple projects in multiple locations around the world. And so Gordon and I lead the practice that really works with those large corporate accounts that we're delivering space for. And so you can imagine when you've got clients that have millions of square feet of space, they don't like surprises and they don't like to get things wrong. So we spend a tremendous amount of time working with all of our offices, all the designers, all the disciplines around the firm, Uh, and we do a lot of thought leadership. And really try to ideate about what is coming to really kind of help our clients be future ready
0: and the clients that you serve are uh, global, correct, so the perspective that you have also spans the entire world is that Is that a fair Absolutely. assessment?
1: It is I mean you know we, we do with one offs we do with small clients, but uh, the, in our practice, the majority of our clients are large corporate clients right now. We have uh, projects in forty four different countries that we 're okay. working on. And we have uh, in nineteen or in two thousand and eighteen or nineteen excuse me, we delivered probably fifty five million square feet of space, and that 's pretty consistent annually okay so a lot of a lot of square footage
0: yeah yeah that that is for sure so so one of the reasons that we 're talking today obviously is because of your perspective and your kind of insight into. Not just what companies are doing from a workplace, from workplace strategy point of view, but also from you know how they're looking at it across the world and how how things are how things are evolving. Let's sort of get into the meat of things. I mean, I think that's kind of the um, the exciting part of perhaps what is happening around the you know commercial office world space today. Tell us pre-COVID, you know, what were some of the kind of big Uh, trends happening and then let's jump into then, you know, how all that's began to evolve since, you know, last
1: March. Sure. So, you you know, in my practice, again, we we have lots of clients that have large portfolios and they don't like surprises. So we spend a lot of time kind of future casting and looking ahead about what is going on. And we kind of have our, our finger on the pulse of what we're seeing. And there were a lot of trends that we were starting to see before COVID and a lot of things that we were talking to our clients about uh, and, and COVID hit. And I think, you know, some things were added to our, you know, the, the, th- the topics that we were talking about, but we really look at COVID as an accelerator for a lot of the topics that we were already addressing and talking about. And so if you think about it before COVID stress, burnout and well-being were issues yeah. and they were at, you know, they were at all times high, but how seriously we took them when things are kind of, you know, rolling along. Yeah. Okay. We, we get it. But right. Or social inequity is, has been an issue. Cleanliness has always been an issue. COVID just put a spotlight on it. Um, climate change, environmental sustainability, underutilized and inflexible real estate. There were a lot of things That were challenging us before, but we were running so fast, just maintaining, right? That I don't think a lot of clients were really addressing them fully. And I think what has happened with COVID is it slammed on the brakes. I would say it was a slap across the face to the real estate community to really make us realize that every other sector... And every other industry has gone through major disruption and we are ripe for change, but we haven't really owned it. And COVID has given us an opportunity not only to address the situation at hand, but to take a moment and realize there were things that weren't working well before. And there are things that are about to hit us that we need to pay attention to. And in our world, that's really important because You know, we don't design, you know, technology that lasts for a year. We're designing and building spaces that last for 10, 15, 20 years. So you really have to think ahead and forward. So artificial intelligence, robotics, all of those things, we have to address them now because they're going to impact the spaces that we're designing.
0: Yeah. And this was the sort of one event that showed us that all of these plans that we had for, you know, 5, 10-year, 15-year horizons, right, uh, how quickly they can be appended essentially right i mean we're 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 facing we're we're facing sort of structural changes in the workplace strategy world that you know really didn't start until you know maybe march or april of uh you know this year, but let's let's go specifically through some of these items, right? Because I think it's 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 worthwhile having that conversation. So you know, trends like working from home, uh, you know, being mobile, kind of working off your laptop, working off other devices. Um, this is not new, obviously, right? No. But but like you said, it's been now accelerated, uh, you know, quite a bit. Tell us where where do companies think about things like that now?
1: So we've actually been working from home since 1980. This is not new, and a lot of us have been working, you know, at remote locations. It just hasn't necessarily been formally accepted and now are acknowledged and really kind of socially or corporately uh, accepted. And I think that's that's the big thing. And I think when COVID hit and everybody had to go home, you know, a lot of people experienced something maybe for the first time that was truly sanctioned by their companies. Now, I think that there's a lot of false indicators that we've seen and a, and a lot of things that can be very misleading. There are companies out there, Cap one, Yahoo, Bank of America, uh, IBM, who have had very successful, uh, work-from-home programs for years. Yeah. But all of them have had their challenges over time and their ups and downs. And I think, you know, you you have to look at them and learn the lessons from them. Not everybody can work from home. And it's not just about being productive and having an empty inbox. It's about, you know, are you connecting? Are you innovating? Are you really thriving, right? And so it, it, it depends on the type of business that you're in, the type of work that you're doing and your mobility levels. And, you know, again, it's not for everybody. And so I think there are a lot of companies right now that might be overestimating how successfully everybody can continue to work from home. I think we're running on adrenaline. People were worried about losing their jobs. Let's just be honest. And what we're finding is on average, people are working one or two hours a day, not a week, a day longer, and over a, over a period of time, that starts to take a toll on you. People are feeling isolated. They're feeling burnt out. Yeah. Uh, they're they're feeling you know they're not connected, and so we have to address all those things if we want to do it successfully.
0: Yeah, and and at the same time, people are commuting less. So I guess that hour is just being translated into some <laughs> other activity, right? I suppose, right? Versus sitting in well, the car or public right. well, transportation. Well,
1: it's, it's, it's not a coincidence that the average person is working 10 more hours a week and the average commute was 10 hours a week, right? I think you just, you know, you wake up at a certain time and, and before you just kind of got in your car and commuted to the office and now you're just rolling that time into your work day. Yeah. So you're right.
0: Yeah. yeah. Now at the same time um I think when you and I had this conversation a couple of weeks ago you also indicated that working from home and being mobile and all of this other stuff and and you've indicated that now also this this isn't for everybody but but it's not a panacea either right i mean so uh, you know it's not like we're going to go all the way to the other extreme and kind of shift working from from home. Um, where where are some companies in terms of how they're approaching this? How are they measuring whether it's working or not working? And and from your experience, you know how many of those companies are seeing success with it versus uh, not success?
1: Yeah. So I, you know, first of all, I think when people sent people home, they didn't they had no idea the time that it was. You know how long this was going to be, and yeah. so. Uh, in hindsight, a lot of them made sure that they had the technology and they had a, a setup and they're like, all right, you're good to go. But if you're going to be working home for an extended period of time or working remotely, you really need to have more things in place to help you be successful. You need a more formalized approach about, you know, how do we connect and and how do we make an effort to do so? And I don't mean just sitting on Zoom calls all day long until you just, you know, you literally can't even move anymore. You can't even stand up because your legs haven't bent in, you know, 12 hours. Yeah. But um, I, I think you need to think about um, who's, who can do it, who can't do it, et cetera. And at the end of the day, I think we're going to see a few things. And we're, we're already starting to see this. Number one, you need to have policies and practices in place and some guidelines. Number two It's really important that you have a setup. And, you know, a lot of people didn't necessarily invest in something initially because either they don't have the space to do it or they didn't think they were going to be doing it for an extended period of time. And so there's a big debate in corporate America right now about should we be paying or giving people a stipend so that they can set up something in their house because, you know, ergonomics and well-being and all those things are starting to become issues, I think. And then also, you know, some people just don't have the infrastructure. They don't have the bandwidth, et cetera. Or you might have three or four kids trying to remote learn in your house, and so it's just kind of being tapped. So uh, you you need to make sure that you have the right setup, and you need to make sure that we're supporting people. There's a lot of people that are feeling very isolated. Uh, They're feeling very disconnected. And, you know, again, uh, it's interesting. There's a big debate about, well, some people are feeling even more connected because they're sitting on zoom calls all day but there's a superficialness to that there's sure. no that's not that's not a real deep connection and i think yes it can serve a purpose but does it permanently replace people's desire or ability or the effectiveness i mean think about this 55 percent of communication is nonverbal. yeah and you can travel with somebody and know them better in that one or two days that you've traveled with them than if you work with them right so there's there's a distance that you feel when you're talking to somebody on Zoom you might see them a lot you might see you know their house and feel a different connection but it's not the same so ultimately at the end of the day we're going to have to figure out what is the right balance between working at home and not
0: yeah, yeah. And and where where is that balance because you see some companies, you know, earlier on which I think probably shocked a lot of people in the financial services industry, but the CEO of Morgan Stanley basically said, you know, from now on this is going to be a um an important aspect of how we do work. And I think for a company like that, this is also a big financial decision, right? You have companies like, you know, Twitter and some others who have said, you know, uh, from now on, you can pick where you, where you want to work from and where you want to be. Um, you know, others are are, are not as uh, as as extreme. And you've heard companies like you know Facebook and Google and others are extending sort of the work from home until maybe next summer or next fall. How are these decisions being made? Is it is it top down? Are they you know surveying? their employees are they thinking about you know what kind of work is being you know performed um is there just a a a different acceptability or acceptance perhaps within the organization to to this notion of working from home in general uh where where does this land
1: so excellent question lots of things to unpack in, in that question first of all the number one consideration right now is people's safety and well-being yes, and companies yeah. are risk averse and so that's why everybody is doing it I mean let's just be, be perfectly clear uh, that is why they are doing it and they're, they you know and it's interesting a lot of people who are saying people can work from home forever I, I think what people I think that's wrong and I think what we're going to find is we're in for a rough 18 to 36 weeks as this all plays out and we figure out what is the right balance here for each companies, but it really isn't that difficult. We've been doing this for a long time and we actually have figured out that the people that are the most unhappy are the people that always work remotely and never go into the office or connect with their their coworkers. Those people tend to be the most disengaged. The, the second group that tends to be the most disengaged is the group that always is in the office, right? They never have an opportunity to re- work remotely. And maybe it's because they don't have any choice. Maybe it's because they take it for granted that they're with their colleagues, but there, there's no balance. The people, and, and you know, four years ago, we did a study on this. Two years ago, we did a study on this. The people that tend to be the most empowered and engaged are the people that tend to work one to two days a week from home. Now, interesting. that, that was before COVID what's happened during that time of COVID is now it is socially and corporately acceptable where before people still felt guilty about working remotely. Somehow you just felt like you were cheating the system somehow. I don't, I don't know why, but people did, you know, now that everybody has been forced to do it and people realize, wow, you really can do this and you really can get work done and it can be very effective. uh, It's more acceptable. And so I think what we're finding is that the sweet spot tends to be too to 3 days a week. And this is that's based on
0: So sort of half and half it, you're saying.
1: Exactly. And giving people some options and choice. Now, but it really depends on the type of company that you are, uh what type of work you do and your mobility level.
0: Right, right.
1: If if you're sitting on phone calls all day, you could take those from home. You don't need to go into an office to do that. If you are being if you're into collaboration and group think and innovation. It's hard to do that when you're always away from your coworkers. And in fact, a lot of the tech companies thrived on creating environments that were so attractive you never wanted to leave, right? Because they it was that synergy that fueled innovation and kept them relevant. And so when you hear all the tech companies saying you can work from home, you know, remotely forever, I, I don't believe that. And and there actually are the ones that are 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 taking all the real estate too. I mean, first of all, they're the ones that have probably done the best in this entire scenario. Um, But they also are the ones that are, that are gobbling up real estate right now. And they, their whole culture, a lot of their culture is around that. But the thing that you have to realize is in the tech world and the tech sector, there's, you know, the massive war for talent really drove people to be very competitive. And so there was like this, all these amenities that people were fighting over and it was the amenity wars and the food wars. Well, now it's the remote work war. Yeah. But I think at the end of the day, they're going to retreat on that because, you know, real innovation and a lot of that stuff really does thrive on people being in the office. So if you think about this, if you're into sales and consulting, if you're in the office, you're not doing, you're not making your company money. right? And so, a lot of the big consulting and professional services firm have done and engaged in remote work for a long time because they don't want their people sitting in the office every day. They want them out in the field with their customers. Yeah. So we design spaces to support that. The tech sector though, has always been one where they want everybody in the office every day. They want you there to help, you know, not only to keep you into the culture and to keep you invested, but also to help drive that innovation. So it, it a lot of this has to do with where you live, what type of work you're doing, what your company culture is. And that didn't just automatically change because of covid.
0: Yeah. Um, and I think I think a lot of that also uh kind of pivots around the notion that, you know, especially in the tech sector, right? I mean, they're they're they're, they're you know, building something new, right? You have to have a certain level of, you know, belief that what you're doing Makes sense because likely you're getting paid less, but you know, hopefully getting paid more through your <laughs> options later on, right? So the building of the culture within the space kind of in you know it reinforces that and enhances that sort of notion that this is a special place. We're doing something really interesting and and uh, also special. But let me let me counter those points with you know the notion of. You know, the fact that we live in a capitalist society and there's a CFO at every one of these companies sitting today looking at, you know, office utilization of probably, you know, under five percent at this point, right? Who is talking to his CEO and saying, Hey, CEO, we are, you know, eighty percent effective or ninety percent effective, uh, with you know, you know, essentially zero space, right? Um there, there's got to be something in there. I mean, this CFO would not have his or her job without sort of questioning some of these these things. So when push comes to shove, do you also see some of these capitalistic tendencies take root, where companies are basically going to say we're going to make this work because this is cheaper?
1: Yes, because we're, we and we we saw it. Day, we saw it right off the bat. But I will say this: look, a lot of the companies that, that reduce their real estate. Most companies had too much real estate to begin with. Let's just be brutally honest. On average, when we do surveys, only you know desks are typically only occupied forty to fifty percent of the time. So there's a lot of companies that have not done a great job of having the right square footage. And we would we would argue that a lot of that has to do with assigning desks. The second you assign a desk to everybody, and then you know people are in meetings or they're they're off that day or whatever. Um, comp- but there are a lot of companies that have right sized their real estate and have done a really good job and have gone free address and giving people options and choices, et cetera. But what we're finding, um, even now for companies that are open, and you said five percent, is it what we're finding is that the initial surge is about, you know, they're anticipating twenty to twenty five percent of people, maybe up to thirty three percent of the people coming back into the office, uh, you know, kind of be- before the, the widespread yeah. vaccination and herd immunity. In reality, it's ending up being only about 10%. And it's it's less than what people anticipated. Now, what we envision going forward is we believe that um, we should be focusing more on human-centric measurements and not space-centric measurements. And what, that what do you need, mean by that? Well, if you think about it, in the real estate world, it's always, you know, how many square feet per desk or how many square feet per person? Sure. And... And in all honesty, I've never had a CEO tell me, oh my God, I'm, I can't sleep at night because Johnny's sitting at 200 square feet.
0: You know, <laughs> right.
1: what is keeping right. CEOs up at night right now is their inability to innovate fast enough to stay relevant. The world is changing quickly. We have to change quickly. And if you're not nimble, and if you're not reacting quickly, you will not stay around for long. I mean, you think about it, Uber, Airbnb, uh, Lyft, they did not produce the same thing faster. They innovated and changed the game. Yeah. And so it's about relevance today. And so when companies talk about productivity, you might be able to be productive working remotely, but can you really innovate? And to, to some degree, you can, but it still needs, I think, you know people really thrive on that synergy of coming together. The other thing I would say is this. You know, We're so focused on the cost of real estate, so focused on that. 80% of a company's money goes to their people. Only 10% goes to real estate and 10% goes to IT. If I do anything to negatively impact people's ability to be productive and or innovate and or to be happy and engaged. If I do anything to upset that, then you know, if I'm squeezing down the real estate, then I I'm actually, I could potentially cost that company more money than I save them. I mean, the biggest cost you have is your people. And so you should focus on what is getting people to be the most engaged and giving me the best results. And, you know, I I don't think it takes a brain surgeon to realize that happy, healthy, engaged, empowered people will work harder for you any day than a disengaged, unhappy, you know, isolated, lonely individual who just is not happy and those people aren't going to work hard for you. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And
1: so we need to think about focus on the people. What do we need to do to make the people happy, healthy and engaged? And one of those things is we need to create purpose of place and great experiences. And so real estate is worth investing in because there's a lot of people that feel very lonely. They feel very isolated, but I haven't heard a single person say they miss the commute. So what is it that's going to be so compelling about my office that makes the commute or getting there worthwhile? Well, it it could be your coworkers. It could be tools. It could be just feeling the energy and the vibe. It could be, you know, great spaces. Those things can be a draw. And I may not want that five days a week, but I may want that one or two days a week. Yeah. And so we have to really think about creating compelling environments that people choose to be in, but maybe not choose to be there five days yeah. a week.
0: So if I can trace back what, what you said earlier on and just re- reinforce now again. So this is about kind of finding that balance, right? So you're, you said earlier yeah. also that the most engaging – sorry, engaged employees were the ones who were able to have the flexibility, right, to go into the office two or three – Days a week, stay at home two or three days a week, right? So it's the flexibility. I think from a kind of CEO point of view, you also want the flexibility of not having to, let's say, sign a fifteen-year lease, right? If if you need to be flexible um, in in terms of how you grow and where you grow, this notion of of kind of signing, you know, a, you know, decade long commitments seem very outdated almost as outdated as you know you need to be in the office from 8:30 to 5 because everybody else is in the office from 8:30 to 5 right um yeah. so what does that mean for the sort of corporate headquarters what does it mean for maybe satellite offices um if people hate the commute can they do you see a trend in you know them requesting and saying hey i live in the suburb of Washington D.C. Instead of, you know, driving into my office on you know Wisconsin and M, uh, and I know there's no offices there, but I'm just saying that because that's the only sort of cross street that I know. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, um, you know, uh, could I maybe go into Roslyn? Could I maybe go into Tyson's Corner and you know, going to like a WeWork type type place there? Uh, how is that yeah. running running through the uh, through this sort of system?
1: So first of all, kudos to you because the address that you picked is one block away from my actual office. So that was actually a really good stab <laughs> in the dark. I, I well, well, with that.
0: I, I did go to Georgetown if, if uh, <laughs> you remember, so that you know I, yes. I know that neighborhood a little bit. <laughs>
1: and I'm not sure I want to divulge to all your listeners that that's the bar district, but yeah, that's okay. That's the one that came to your mind. So that's yeah, okay. We'll old just old with that.
0: Glories was one of my favorite right, places to right. go.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so look, access is the new ownership. I think you're right. You know. One of the things that uh, the the real estate industry is very antiquated in the way that, uh, you know, we have to sign these long-term leases, you have to lock into these deals, you have to buy furniture. You know I mean? There's a lot of things I think that uh, people don't necessarily want. However, the power of place is important, but I think how much of it you need and where you need it might be what varies going forward. So mm-hmm. what we see really going forward is kind of this hub-home-spoke model. And the hub-home-spoke model is um, we – it's reimagining an ecosystem of places that people can choose from. One is the home, right? And so set that up and, and have options in your house. And, you know, you might be doing certain things at home or there might be times that you can't commute because of whether it's traffic or weather or whatever, then the the office, what we used to call the office, in a sense, let's call that the the hub, and the hub basically becomes kind of like the heart and the soul. It's the innovation center. It's like the experience center. It's where you go because you want to meet your colleagues. It's the senior leadership. Maybe it's the best tools. It's it's the culture. It's where you go to get inspired. Yeah. It's, it gives you all the great services, right? But there's an in between, and in the past, that in between has kind of been co-working. The the challenge with co-working centers is that um, it's not your culture. It's somebody else's. It's a blended culture. And so uh, it might serve a purpose. It might give you kind of an office or a home or an office away from your office. But there are other challenges. And I think right now, there are going to be a lot of companies that are very hesitant to put their people in situations where they can't control who they have access to or uh, who they come in contact with yeah. specifically because of the virus. So what we're seeing is several companies have actually taken short-term leases in the suburbs, where uh, you know they might have a group. You know, you do a zip code analysis and you have a cluster of people, and so all right, we're going to take, we're going to go to an old co-working space that might have gone belly up, or another space, or a retail place that we can convert. Or even take a block of space within a still thriving co-working center and dedicate that to our people. And these spokes do a few things. They give you an opportunity and a place outside of your home that you can connect with other people and maybe have better, more choices as far as ergonomics and desk uh, access to people, better tools, or just get a different environment. Some people are just, they have to get out of their houses, right? For whatever reason. Um, But they don't necessarily have to drive all the way downtown to do that. And so it's kind of like these neighborhood based or community based um, centers. And some can be owned by the company and other ones, you know, individuals might just have access to shared spaces. So, you know, like for me, a hub is an airport because before COVID I traveled 90% of right. the time. I was in airports all the time. That's yeah. a, that was a, that was a spoke for me, right? That was a spoke. And that's where I would go and do it. Um, but the, you know, the hub really is that main space that you're going to. And so what we're seeing is that you might have a smaller hub, but it's, it is maybe has the best amenities. It's the best services. It's yeah. catered, yeah. you know, stuff like that. So it's a draw. And it's and it's drawing you there, but you don't necessarily have to go there five days a week.
0: Yeah, yeah, interesting. So, um, what then? It becomes the purpose of the headquarters. Does it become a sort of a place where you you know showcase your company to clients and prospects? Is it does it become a place where you know you have all hands meetings, kind of board meetings, things like that? Is that is that what the headquarters then becomes?
1: yeah yeah so your hub or your headquarters really in a sense becomes kind of uh, the heart and the soul of the company. it's the it's the experience center, it's the innovation center. it's where you've got the best technology. it's where you you know you have the big agile meetings or you know the team meetings or whatever. The spokes tend to be for more uh, casual work maybe in your community, and then the home is where you're doing heads-down, concentrative work or yeah, work that yeah. you're just doing by yourself or you're sitting on a phone call all day.
0: Yeah, interesting. So, uh, Kay, if you look at across the you know clients that you serve and the companies you work with, um, are there any, and maybe you can mention them by name, but are there any that are doing some really interesting, innovative stuff that you think kind of sets the tone of where we're going to be in you know five, ten years from now?
1: Well, yeah, I mean, I I think there's a whole sector, Uh, the Deloitte's and the Accenture's and the Boston um, consulting groups of the world who have been doing a lot of activity based working that have headquarters or hubs that kind of are a draw, but they don't expect their people to be tied sitting to a desk you know, 40 hours a week, they're out in the field, they're with their customers, they have a lot of flexibility. Um, I think they, for decades, well, at least the last decade, have been doing some really amazing work in creating these environments where it's a great place that you want to be when you need to be there, but you don't have to go there every single day. And yeah. and, they're, and, and a lot of that has to go with, you know, has to do with trust, right? Tr- they're trusting their employees to do the right thing, to make the right decisions, to be where they need to be. And and it's well-suited for their industry. There are other industries that, quite frankly, just aren't well-suited for that. You know, some people have to be in their office every single day, whether it's, you know, whether you're, uh, I don't know, if it's a law firm or, you know, certain types of practices, um, accounting firms, you know, some uh, different types of industries, even the tech sector, right? You yeah. might argue that tends to be more creative, and so they want those people uh, in the office. But I think what we're going to see is that your time in the office really, truly is about connecting and gathering with other people, and so it should be designed to do that, right? If, if I need to go and sit in a little box by myself, I wake up in one every morning, I should just stay there, right? I don't have to go and commute an hour to get to a place like that.
0: right. Right, where you're going to check email and make phone calls, right? Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, makes sense. I
1: mean, you know, in all honesty, if you think about this, we organically have been kind of edging towards this for a long time. The difference is that COVID has, has been an accelerant, it's made us realize some things. It's made it a lot more acceptable to work remotely and to give power to individuals and to people. It's forced companies to have more trust in their employees. Yeah. And and I think what we've seen, you know, I think the shock for a lot of people is not, wow, you were productive. It's like, wow, you really did work. Like, you didn't just you, know, you just binge watch television yeah. all day, right? <laughs> you really did work. And, and you know, that's a, that's a long time in coming that, you know, everybody is an adult. You're hiring professionals. You need to treat them like professionals and empower them to do what is right. There are some people that love being in an office. They just love it. They need that energy. There are other people that really don't function well. And I think what we're realizing is one size misfits all. And so hopefully as we come out of this, what we'll see is we'll give people options and choices. And not only does that help individuals, uh, it helps us create more socially diverse socially more inclusive and yeah. equitable spaces. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Makes sense. Um, Kay, I'd like to close off uh, usually by asking a question about about sort of hope, right? And kind of given everything that's happened during 2020 and as, you know, the, the world has shifted, um, what, what gives you hope?
1: I, I would say this. In my 35-year career, there have really only been two other times where there has been an event or an advancement so significant that we've all really kind of stopped and said, wow, what, what does this mean for work? Right. And we're, we are in one right now. And I hope that we do not take that for granted. I, we wrote a piece uh, a year ago before COVID about, is this our industry's Kodak moment? Cause there's so many things that are changing. I hope that people take a moment, that they don't uh, have a knee jerk reaction, that they use this opportunity to really think about what's right for individuals and for the planet and for, you know, society as a whole. Sure. And we take the opportunity to design with courage and to break some old norms that just haven't really been working and really address some of the issues that we've needed to address for a long time. If we do that, then this will not have been a total waste. We actually have an opportunity to advance the way we work by at least a decade if we design with courage and if we embrace that.
0: Excellent, excellent. Okay, uh, appreciate you taking the time to chat with us. Uh, stay safe and be well
1: Thank you.